Greetings, Bridges family. After two weeks, a two-week break for Palm Sunday and Easter, we're returning to the book of, of Romans. But unfortunately, we're not returning to our normal Sunday service. It was five weeks ago that we last met together. And it will be at least another several weeks before we're together again. Our inability to worship together is just one of the many losses that we're all experiencing. Some have experienced the loss of health in their lives or in the lives of people they know and love. I'm not aware of anyone at Bridges who's tested positive for the coronavirus, but I am aware of several who have friends or family members with the virus. Others have experienced loss of income, loss of job, loss of hours, loss of customers to their business. Students are experiencing loss of education with whether that matters to them or not, they're experiencing loss. And, and we're all experiencing the loss of freedom. Freedom to go where we want, to do what we want, to be with who we want. Online meetings are fine, but they're just not the same. So loss might be the single best word to express what's happening during these, and yes, I'll use the word, unprecedented times. Around the world, people are experiencing unprecedented loss. But for those of us who trust in the Lord, loss is never final. Loss is part of this temporary earthly life. It's to be expected and sometimes, sometimes even embraced. Listen to Paul's perspective on his own personal loss. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, he writes, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. The, the things he lost, the things he once thought were gain, he now counts as loss for the sake of Christ. He's embracing his loss. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Do you see the, the, the trade-off Paul is making? On the one hand is uh, everything. His health, his job, his financial security, his friends, his family, his reputation, and more. And on the other hand is Christ, knowing Christ, being in relationship with Christ. And Paul does the math, and he says, everything is loss. I'll give up all, all things in exchange for knowing Christ. He goes on to say, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He lost it all but he gained Christ. And compared to Christ, everything he lost was rubbish, stinky, smelly garbage. Now our situation isn't the same as Paul's. He, he made a choice to count everything as loss so that he might gain Christ. The losses we're suffering are not of our own choosing. And for most of us, they're not as severe as the, the things Paul lost. Our loss is due to a virus and how the world is reacting to it. But what I want us to see is the trade-off Paul is advocating. This is a trade-off that we all have to wrestle with. On the one hand, there's everything in our lives, things we've already listed and more. And on the other hand is Christ. And the question is, are you willing to consider everything as lost compared to knowing Christ? Now, this may or may not mean actually losing everything in your life, but what it does mean is that for the sake of knowing Christ, you'll be, you're willing to lose all things. For the sake of knowing Christ, all things must become as trash. 
You must be willing to throw away anything that comes between you and Jesus Christ. That's the choice that Paul made for his own personal life. And really, that's the choice we must all make. To be a Christian means to lose all things for the sake of Christ. Let me say that again. To be a Christian means to lose all things for the sake of Christ. To release what you have and who you are to God for the sake of following Jesus Christ. Jesus puts it this way. If anyone would come after me, if anyone would know me, if anyone would be in relationship with me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Let him deny himself. Uh, Let him die to self. Take up his cross. Lose all things that he might follow me. So being a Christian means the loss of all things. But it also means great gain. The trade-off is the loss of everything, including the loss of self, by the way, for the gain of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And this trade-off is presented throughout the New Testament, including as we'll see in our passage for today. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. But before we get there, we need to review and put this single verse that we'll look at today in its larger context. Remember, in chapters 12 through 16 of Romans, Paul is giving instructions on on right Christian living. And this right Christian living is based on right Christian thinking or, or it's based on Christian truth. The truth we find in Christ, specifically the truth found in Romans chapter 1 through 11. So, at the beginning of Romans 12 1, Paul points back to what he's just written in Romans 1 through 11. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. The therefore points to what has gone before. What Paul is about to write beginning in Romans 12 all the way to chapter 16, is an appeal based on what he's already written in Romans 1-11. through He'll cry out to Christians to make drastic changes in the way we think and in the way we live. Changes that will include great loss, but even greater gain. And these changes are based on the truths of Romans 1-11, through especially highlighting the mercies of God. For us to make the trade-off, Paul presents, uh, the trade-off that Paul presents, we must keep the mercies of God in view. Because in His mercy, God, God gives us salvation and sanctification. He gives us eternal life. He forgives us and frees us and delivers us from our sin. He gives us peace and love and adoption into His family. And so much more. It's because of His mercies, His great and wondrous compassion that we are to be motivated and empowered to live the Christian life as described in Romans 12-16. through A life of great loss, but even greater gain because of God's great mercies. So, so now, now, several weeks ago, back before Easter, Palm Sunday, we began to look at, at this life God is calling us to. Remember, we looked at the, the first of two foundational commands that God gives to His people. I say foundational because they provide the basis for everything that's going to follow. Beginning in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul's going to get uh, extremely practical about how we are to live. How we're to think about ourselves, how we're to uh, think about and treat other people what we're to lose, and what we're to gain. And he knows that the only way we can live this way is if we are transformed. 
If we remain the same, our motivations, our actions, our life will not change. But if we're transformed by the power of God, then we can live as God desires. And to be transformed by God, we must first present ourselves to God. We deny ourselves, we consider uh, all things as loss, and give ourselves completely to God. That's the first foundational command that we looked at several weeks ago. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We must present our, our, ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, giving ourselves fully to God, submitting to Him in all things sacrificing, losing our lives, losing our personal desires, which is, Paul says, our spiritual worship, or as we saw, uh, our reasonable service. Based on God's mercies, all God has done to make you holy and acceptable, giving your life to Him is a reasonable trade-off. It's reasonable, it's spiritual uh, to worship and serve Him alone. To live a holy and acceptable life before Him. It's right that we lose all things for the sake of Christ. So that's the first uh, foundational command. To lose your life and present yourself to God. And now we come to the second foundational command found in Romans chapter 2. I mean, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 2. This command divides nicely into three parts. And we're going to look at each individual part, and we'll see how they flow together. The first part is what I've called the the prohibition. This is what is prohibited. This is what we're commanded to lose. There are things that we as Christians, for the sake of Christ, are required to give up, uh, to lose. Remember, Paul counted everything as loss, and now he says to the church, do not be conformed to this world. So what does that mean? Well, that word conformed in itself isn't a bad word. It's not bad to be conformed. It it means to fashion oneself, your mind, your character, to the pattern of another. To become like another. Have you ever admired someone? Looked up to someone? As a kid, uh, even into my teens, I looked up to my cousin, Chris. He was two years older than me, and and I wanted him to like me. I wanted him to accept me. I wanted to be like him. He loves sports, so I love sports. He liked certain kinds of music, so I liked the same kinds of music. He acted a certain way, so I acted in the, the same way. Without even thinking about it, I was naturally fashioning myself, conforming to the pattern of my cousin. And in the same way as people who want to be liked, who want to be accepted in this world, we naturally conform to the world around us. We fashion ourselves, our minds, our character to the patterns of this world. But Paul says, uh, don't do that. You must lose these desires to be like the world. You must lose actions that conform to the patterns of this world. Now we need to be sure we understand what, what he means by this and what he doesn't mean by this. First, He doesn't mean we don't have to conform to, we don't have to follow the rules and laws of our society. For example, we can't say, even though some of us would like, the world is telling me to wear a mask and and practice social distancing. But the Bible says I don't have to conform to the world, uh, so forget the stupid mask, and I'm going to shake everybody's hand that I come in contact with. That's not what Paul is saying. 
We know this because in Romans 13.1, he writes, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So not conforming to the world does not mean disobeying the governing authorities. Uh, brief side note, yes, there, are, uh, there may be times when we disobey the government, but only if the government is clearly demanding that we violate the Word of God. More on that when we get to Romans chapter 13. But in general, not conforming to the world does not mean disobedience to the government. And it also doesn't mean separating yourself from the world. It doesn't mean we are to form our own little Christian communes and have little or no contact with the outside world. Scripture teaches us that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are to be Christ's representatives to a, a lost world without uh, conforming to the world. And, and that isn't always easy. That's why Jesus in John chapter 17, verse, 7, verse 15, in his high priestly prayer, he prayed, I do not ask that you take them, my disciples, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So not being conformed to the world does not mean disobedience to the rules and the laws of society. And it does not mean removing yourself from the world. So what does it mean? Well, Jesus gives us a clue in this, in this prayer in John 17, 15, when he prays that God keep us from the evil one. In the Greek, the word translated world in Romans is the English aeon, and it literally means age. And in Paul's letters, he's pri he primarily uses this word when referring to the world or the age which is opposed to Christ and is under the control of sin and, and Satan. We see this in Galatians 1.4. Paul is speaking about Christ, and he says, uh, Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Same word there used in, that's used in Romans, according to the will of our God and Father. Christ delivered us from the present evil age, an age opposed to God, an age controlled by Satan and sin. And in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, writing about those who are perishing, Paul says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world, the God of this age, the evil one, refers to Satan, the one who is opposed to God, opposed to, to people coming to Christ. So again, when Paul uses this word, aeon, age or world, he's referring to this present age or the current world system that is opposed to Christ and under the control of sin and Satan. So in Romans 12, 2, Paul is saying, do not fashion yourself after the pattern of this present age, this world which is opposed to Christ, which is under control of the control, under the influence of sin and Satan. Lose your attachment to this sinful, satanic world. Now, what does that mean for us practically? Well, first, and I think uh, most importantly, it means that we recognize that our world is under the control of sin and Satan, that it's being influenced by sinful thinking, by satanic ways. The world is not a place. If you're looking for guidance, if you're looking for uh, what you should do, how you should live, uh, looking to the world is not the place to go for direction. 
And therefore, the things, of the, the, things the world is promoting, the ways of thinking and, and behaving that the world is calling us to engage in are not what we should be conforming to. Those are not the patterns we should be following. Now, at this point, I could list the the many specific ways the world is opposed to Christ. I could list the many worldly actions and and attitudes that we must lose for the sake of Christ. The many ways of thinking and acting that are against the will and the Word of God. I could list sins that the world tolerates, the world advocates, the world celebrates, but the Word of God prohibits. And then I could say, brothers and sisters in Christ, don't do those things. Do not conform to these worldly thoughts and actions. These are the things we must lose. But I'm not going to make a list. Because first of all, I imagine that the list, my list, uh, would be different from yours. What I would emphasize might not be where where you struggle uh, to not conform. That's why we each have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. One of the Spirit's main jobs is to individually convict us of our sin. So in this instance, I'll leave it it to the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to each of our lives, to point out the ways you individually are are, are conforming to the world and to empower you, you to lose those ways, to not conform. However, I don't want you to think that that lists are wrong. There are a number of places in Scripture where we're given lists of sins that that we're not to engage in, we're not to conform to. I've underlined a few in your notes in case you uh, need a reminder, and in in case you need a reminder, the notes are available at our website uh, under Messages. But here in in Romans, Paul does not give a list. Instead, he gives a, a better alternative. He gives the process that if engaged in, will ensure that we not only do not conform to the world, that we not only lose the world, but that we gain Christ. So let's examine uh, the process. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I chose the word process for two reasons. One, because uh, it begins with a P, and all of my points today are going to start with a P. But most importantly, more importantly, because being transformed by the renewal of your mind is a process. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens over time. We will see that in the, in the, actually the verb tense of this, of this phrase, uh, of this word, this verb, be transformed. But first, let's look at, at the meaning. Let's look at what we're being transformed into. The, the word transformed is the Greek word, and we've talked about this before, uh, metamorpho. It means uh, major change, uh, transformation, like the caterpillar changing to the butterfly. Paul only uses it one other time in, the, in his New Testament writings. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, here Paul makes it clear what we're being transformed into. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. When we come to Christ, uh, the veil, uh, the, the, the barrier that sin creates between us and God is removed. We're able to behold the glory of the Lord, to see God in His glory. And we're being transformed into the same image. That is the image of the Lord. As Paul wrote in Romans 8.29, For those whom He foreknew, 
he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We're being transformed from, uh, from one who is conformed to this world to one who is conformed to the image of God's son, Jesus Christ. But again, this does not happen overnight. It's a process. We see it in the grammar of the Greek uh, verb, be transformed. In Romans 2.12, this verb is in the, now hold on here, this verb is in the present passive imperative tense. I'll give you time to write that down. Present passive imperative tense. Now, I don't often go into such detail about the tense uh, of verbs, but here it's important. Each one of these is actually important. We learn something crucial from each of the, the parts of the tense of this verb. First, it's imperative. This means being transformed is not an optional part of the Christian life. It's a command. We as believers in Christ, as those who have received the mercies of God, are commanded... It's an imperative to be transformed into the image of Christ. So first, it's a command. And second, it's a process. We see that in 2 Corinthians, uh, the, the verse we read there. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And we see it in the fact that, that be transformed is in the present tense. It's always happened. It's always present. That means it's a continuous right now action. So as Christians, we are commanded to be in the process of being transformed. We should be continually, uh, gradually changing into the image of Jesus Christ. That uh, is one, I think, good definition of what it means to be a Christian. Those who are, uh, are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Now there is a third important part to this verb, be transformed. Uh, it is passive. It's in the passive tense. And what that means is transformation is an action that happens to you. Not an action that you do. We see this in 2 Corinthians. We, we, are, we are being transformed. We see this clearly in Romans 8. We are predestined by God to be conformed to the image of His Son. You do not transform yourself. This is where so many Christians, uh, this is where we get tripped up. We think that it's our responsibility to make ourselves better. Uh, we think that somehow we can change ourselves, that we can become more like Jesus Christ ourselves, that we can figure out how to be conformed to His image. When in ourselves we have absolutely no chance of transforming ourselves in any positive way. In fact, even when we do make changes in our lives, and I realize we do, when we muster up the willpower to, to stop certain sin or, or do positive acts, for the most part, those changes are only external and temporary. And even if they last, they often result in, in other sins. Sins like pride, sins like conde, con, condescension. We look down on others. We say or think things like, I did that. Why, why can't you? I overcame that sin. What's your problem? And this is not transformation. It's transference. We transfer our sins from one area to another. Only God can make lasting, internal, positive changes in our lives. Only God can transform us from who we were into who Jesus Christ is. So I hope you get the point of this verb, be transformed. It's packed full of meaning. Yes, it's a command. 
Yes, it's a process, and yes, it's a work of God in our lives. So, so you might ask, so uh, what's my part in transformation? Well, Paul tells us that the process of transformation takes place how? By the renewal of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. God transforms, and the means he uses is the renewal of your mind. Now, the word renewal means to, to renovate, uh, to change for the better. It's very similar to, to transformation. And the word mind speaks to your intellect, to your way of thinking, to how you understand things. It, it really has a lot to do with your perspective or, or your worldview, how you look at things. So the renewal of your mind involves a complete renovation of your thinking and understanding. Specifically, in, the context, in this context, it means a complete change from thinking and understanding things like the world to thinking and understanding things like Christ. And how does this renewal take place? Now, here in, in Romans, Paul doesn't explain uh, how we're renewed, but, but in other places, he gives us some insight. In 1 Corinthians 2, 11 and 12, he writes, for who, know, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Our thoughts, our ways of thinking, our understanding, our mind is linked to our spirit. And our spirit can be linked to, to, to one of two spirits, either the spirit of the world or the spirit of God. And Paul says to the church, to those who've trusted in Jesus Christ, we have not received the spirit of the world. We are no longer linked to this uh, worldly spirit, this, this spirit that is uh, opposed to Christ, the spirit is the, that's influenced by sin and Satan. We do not have to conform to the world. Because we've received the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within us. That we might comprehend the thoughts of God. Now I know we know, we know no one knows the mind of God. God's thoughts are above our thoughts. But, but in this process, we begin to understand God's thoughts in a new way. It says that we might understand the things freely given us by God. We're able to understand the things of God that God wants us to understand, the things that God gives us to understand. So, so it is the Spirit of God that dwells within us that brings renewal to our spirit and, and that influences our mind, our way of thinking. But the Spirit is not alone. He has uh, this marvelous tool of renewal. In Colossians 3.16, Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That word admonishing includes, uh, it's, it's an it's a extension, it, it's a compound word with the word mind in it, the same Greek word. It literally means, uh, admonishing literally means to put in the mind. The word of Christ, the spirit-inspired word of God teaches and admonishes and imparts wisdom. And I want us to see that this is uh, the part we play in our renewal, in our transformation it's the Spirit of God who renews and transforms. But as we spend time in God's Word, as we allow the Word to dwell in us richly, 
as we pour over and, and, and take in the richness of the Scripture, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to put godly ideas and thoughts and ways of understanding wisdom into our mind. And when these godly thoughts, this wisdom and ways of understanding enters our mind, the Spirit uses them to bring about internal lasting transformation. This is reinforced uh, by uh, the verse we looked at earlier, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Notice what causes our transformation? Beholding the glory of the Lord. As we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. And where is the primary place where we're, we can go to on a daily basis, on a regular basis, any time, day or night, to behold the glory of the Lord? His Word. The revelation of Himself. He gave up His Word to reveal Himself to us, to reveal His glory, to reveal everything about Him, because everything about Him is glorious. So as we behold, as we take into our minds the glory of the Lord found in His Word, as we see God's holiness and mercy and righteousness and grace and love and justice and on and on, the Spirit uses what we see in the Word to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. As we truly see Christ in the power of the Spirit, we become more like Christ. The more we take in the Word of God, the more we lose our desires to conform to the world. And the more we gain the desire to be like Christ, as the song makes clear, turn your eyes unto Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. So we've seen the prohibition. Do not be conformed. We've seen the process. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now we come to the purpose. Why not be conformed to the world? Why be transformed by the renewal of your mind? What's the purpose? What's the result in our lives? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That, that word that is crucial. That means uh, what, uh, this is the purpose that's following. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The purpose of our transformation from being conformed to this world to being conformed to the image of Christ is so that, that we're able to test and discern what is good, acceptable, and perfect. The, the, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And by implication, once we've uh, discerned this will of God, we can, can then live what is good and acceptable and perfect before God. Put simply, we can live as Christ lived. Christians are always asking the question, what is the will of God for my life? How do I know the will of God? Well, here's the answer. If you want to know the will of God, then do not be conformed to this world. Do not seek to think and live as those in the world. That is not the will of God. Flee from sin the worldly acts of disobedience and opposition to God. Flee from Satan, the God of this world. Lose the world. Toss it out. It's rubbish. And instead, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
Spend time in the Word of God, allowing it to richly dwell in your mind and heart. Submit to the Spirit that, that, that you have received from God. Allow Him to use the Word to transform you into the image of Christ. And as we become more like Christ, then we're able to discern the will of God. Christ understood the will of God without question. And as we become more like Christ, the will of God becomes clear to us. To know what God wants us to do, uh, where God wants us to go, who God wants us to be. It's not magic. It's a God-driven process. As our minds are renewed by God, then our thoughts become more and more in line with the thoughts of God. As we lose our conformity to the world, we gain conformity to Christ. We gain relationship with Christ. And in that relationship, we gain an understanding of who God is and what God has, uh, has for us. And so, our will becomes aligned with the will of Christ. And we grow in our ability to know what is good and acceptable and perfect. It becomes natural to us because God has transformed us and, he, and, and, and we want what He wants. His will becomes our will. His desires become our desires. As the psalmist wrote, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. If you're delighting yourself in the Lord, if because of His great mercies you, you, you lose your life to Him and you present yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord and you lose the world, you reject the influence of sin and Satan, you reject the God of this world, and instead you turn to the Spirit of God for lasting renewal and, and transformation, you will experience gain like never before. Because God will give you the desires of your heart. Your heart will be, uh, will, will be being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Your heart will be united with God's heart. And you'll desire what is good and acceptable and perfect. The only question is, is that what you want? Do you want to be renewed and transformed? It's a serious question. You might be thinking, uh, not really, if it means losing everything. Do you want to not only know the will of God, but to do the will of God? Well, maybe. Do you want to lose everything but gain Christ? This is certainly a question for those who've yet to trust in Christ. Are you willing to give your life? This is the counting the cost. Are you willing to give your life to Jesus Christ in return for the, uh, the mercies of God? In return for a renewed mind, a transformed life, a relationship with God where you're becoming less like your old self and more like Jesus Christ? Is that what you want? Certainly a question for those who've yet to trust in Him. That's, the, that's what it means when you trust in Him. It's to give yourself fully to Him, to his, uh, to his transforming power in your life. But it's also a question for those of us who've already trusted in Christ. We need to uh, maybe regularly, maybe daily examine our lives. We need to ask, have I truly presented myself fully to God? Or am I holding something back? Am I no longer conforming to the world? Am I no longer attracted to the patterns of, of this world? But instead, am I, am, I, am I being renewed and transformed by God's Spirit through God's Word? 
Am I able to discern uh, and do the will of God? Is my life characterized by a desire for what is good and acceptable and perfect? And if the answer is yes, then, then, then move forward into Romans 12, beginning in verse 3, receiving and being transformed by God's Word, understanding in a real way the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Because that's uh, as we move forward, that's what, it, that's what we're going to see, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for our lives, laid out for us in Romans chapter 12 through 16 as we move forward. So if your answer is yes, move forward. But if your answer is no, if you're not experiencing this, if this isn't, and, and I'm not talking perfectly. I'm talking, is this your desire, and is this what you're seeking? If your answer is no, then I'd encourage you to evaluate your commitment to Christ. You need, you need to know that what we're talking about here, what Paul's writing about here, is not just for a, a few select Christians. We're talking about giving yourself to God, being renewed and transformed into the image of Christ, losing everything to gain Christ. This is, in fact, a description of the normal Christian life, of what it means for everyone to be a Christian. It is what God wants for each and every person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Back to Romans 8.29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined, to what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then God has predestined you to be conformed to the image of His Son. For every believer, the Christian life involves transformation, being conformed into this image of Christ. And if the, this is not what you're experiencing, if you're pretty much the same person you, you've always been, you, you're the same person, you just say, you believe different stuff, or if you know that the changes in your life are, are only external, then I'd challenge you today. I'd challenge you to get on your knees before God, to cry out to Him. Say to God, I present myself to you as a living sacrifice. Especially now that I think, uh, looking back at the uh, sermon a couple weeks ago, and here I think we have a good grasp of what that actually means. Help me, God, to lose my life to lose my attachments to this world, to no longer conform to the patterns of sin and Satan that the world promotes, that the world offers, that the world celebrates. God, help me to submit to the Spirit's work of renewal and transformation in my life. And give me, give me, Lord, an overwhelming desire to spend time in Your Word. I want to behold Your glory and to be transformed by what I see. I want to each day become more like Jesus Christ, knowing and doing your good, acceptable, and perfect will. Amen. Pray that prayer. Now, uh, as a very practical step, I'd encourage you uh, today, moving forward, you know, we're I think many of us, maybe not everybody, but many of us are finding a little extra time in our lives. I'd encourage you to take that time. I'd encourage you to redeem that time in the best way possible by spending time with God, by spending time in His Word. Yes, you might lose time doing other things, uh, being entertained maybe, but what you will gain is far greater. 
The Word provides the fuel for our transformation. So spend time stoking the fire. If you don't already have a specific time that you spend in God's Word, then then make one and, and hold fast to it. On a daily basis, open your Bible and begin reading and studying. Providing the Spirit with the fuel to bring about the renewal and transformation that God wants for you. And if you need a place to start, I recommend any one of the Gospels. Remember, whose image are we being transformed into? The image of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's in the Gospels that we first see this image, this image of God uh, in human flesh, of God becoming one of us. And we get the picture of who God is transforming us into. So read the Gospels. Behold the glory of God and allow the Spirit to transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I pray for myself and I pray for each person watching this video, each, each, each member, attender of Bridges and any others that have happened upon it. Lord, I pray. I pray that we would take your word seriously. Lord, not my words. Uh, filter out anything that was of me, Father, and bring your word home that you're calling us to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed, Lord. And I pray that you would give us, give us a desire for this in our lives. Lord, give us a heart for that. Help it to be a burning desire to be transformed by the living God into the image of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I, I pray that you would give us an overwhelming desire uh, to run to your word, to spend time in your word, to be with you in your word, to spend time in prayer, praying through passages of scripture, asking you to make those a reality in our lives, Lord. I pray that you would uh, transform us by the power of your spirit through, through your word. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you and hope to see you soon.